A very warm welcome to This World Game Changers podcast, where your host, Paul D. Lowe, embraces many crucial conversations that compassionately contribute towards creating a better life and world. Paul's intention is very simple, to help get people's inspirational insights and motivational messages out into the world so others may benefit. Hello listeners and welcome to this World Game Changes podcast episode. Today, in this Blessed Beyond Belief series, I don't call it a mini-series or a series or what to call it, we are joined by a, well, we're joined by two ladies. One from, I was going to say, I was going to say South Africa. It's California, <laughs> but it's not actually even California. Arizona. Arizona, Arizona, Sally Hooper. Sally um, has been with us before on more than one occasion. So without further ado, Sally, a warm welcome to you. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. And the other lady that's really going to help me co-host this is Rebecca. You might have heard the name before. I don't know. She's only done about five million episodes on this uh, on this World Game Changes podcast. Slight exaggeration there. But um, yeah, Rebecca, a warm welcome to you, Mom. Thank you. Thank you so much. Slipping the mom there. <laughs> so anyway, enough of the frivolity, enough of the waffling. Uh, let's get straight to it. So, Sally, I'm going to, in a moment, invite you to sort of, you know, spend a couple of minutes telling us about yourself, your background, your expertise, your experience, etc., etc. But we thought um, between the three of us, listeners, we'd, we'd talk around the subject of nurturing children nurturing children so sally on that basis do you want to give us a brief intro to yourself who you are what you do etc etc sure i'd love to um so i suppose i fall into that category of um, nurturing children as i've made sort of a career out of um out of doing just that so i early early in my 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 professional life i was a special education teacher i taught early intervention preschool um with for kids with varying disabilities um from autism being on the spectrum to um significant behavior challenges uh language delays down syndrome kind of you know the an eclectic bunch of special education kids. And then I, I started, um, I became an uh, autism and behavior specialist and where I really worked with kids with challenging behaviors um, and helping develop, uh, I would say, school programs that were designed to um, help these children reach their potential using principles of applied behavior analysis. Um, and so I did I did that for many years, consulting across the country. And, you know, with COVID, like others, I pivoted and I kind of um, still do that, still work with school districts occasionally, helping set up, um, you know, vibrant early intervention programs. Um, but on top of that, working with more of a neurotypical population and helping parents just, just um, get past some parenting challenges and, and with their little ones and get back to loving life together at home. Um, so 
I think early on, my passion for kids started, um, you know, as a child, I was, I think I do have that nurturing gene in me. Um, but then on top of that, my mom was in a really amazing role model for me as a mother. Um, she certainly has the nurturing, um, gene down pat and she, and she gifted that over to me, um, despite her upbringing. So my mom had a very challenging, um, childhood. She, she endured some physical and emotional abuse. And, you know, I use the word, despite that became a amazing mother. Um, and, you know, I, I, I learned to appreciate how, what she went through as a child really impacted her as an adult. Um, I received my master's degree in marriage family therapy. And so part of my intern hours for, for that, I spent time in county mental health on the juvenile side of county mental health and doing therapy with, with kids who were um, mostly court mandated to be there. Um, their families were mandated to be there, you know, either through child protective services or some other kind of way. So these weren't, these weren't kids who were, you know, families who were voluntarily coming in saying, Hey, we've got this issue I want to work on. These were kids who were, you know, this are, this is a tough population. They didn't really want to be in therapy. Um, I even spent time in juvenile hall with, um, juvenile offenders and it, it just, it, I, I really came to appreciate that much of the issues that I was dealing with had to do with what happened to them, what happened to them when they were younger, when they were really little. Um, and so it was less about, you know, I was doing assessments on these kids and diagnosing, et cetera. And, it, you know, that kind of falls in line with the what's wrong with you? What, let's get to the bottom of what are we going to call this? What are we going to diagnose it before we can, we can address it. And really, um, you know, person on a personal level, I was thinking, what happened to you? Um, because so much of what we do has to do with our such the early, early upbringing, and it and it brought me to the point where my mantras become the earlier, the easier. And if we can instill goodness in little ones um, from a from from the get go, really. Uh, what an advantage they will have um, in their life. You know, we can set them up and give them a leg up in this world. So it's just kind of become my passion. One other little background is um, because so much of my professional life kind of revolved around autism and kids on the spectrum. Um, when I was in college, I was assigned to this little boy who had autism. He was on the spectrum. He was nonverbal. He was three years old. He didn't have any language at all. And over this year, I worked with this student um, and I certainly wasn't the only one on the team. There was a you know a team of us working with him and we managed to teach him to talk using principles of applied behavior analysis. And I think um, the magic of that, it just had a profound impact on me that if I can teach a child who's on the spectrum to talk, what else can we teach kids? What can we teach kids who are neurotypical, who don't have the challenges that that child had? And um, again, just this opportunity, you know, I see opportunity um, in that. And, and all of those experiences combined have kind of brought me to the point where I just want to instill, teach goodness and model model how to do that for grownups. Because a lot of grownups don't 
necessarily have the tools or knowledge to to know how to model that for children or um, teach those things to children, teach patience and self-worth and introspection and forgiveness and gratitude and community and all these um, wonderful things that if the earlier, the easier. So if we can teach them as kids, then uh, what an advantage these kids will be as as they age and become grownups and hopefully contributing world game changers, you know, themselves in this world. So that was probably more than you wanted, more than a little introduction, but we'll see. Yeah, we've just wrote a book there, listeners, just on Sally's intro alone. <laughs> um, <laughs> Rebecca, any thoughts around that? I mean, yeah, it's a, that's incredible. Um, you know, that the whole wealth of experience that you've had, Sally, and um, the kind of challenges that went along with that, but then at the same time, you know, being able to really make that impact into children's lives. And it's so true um, that, you know, the earlier the easier, because when when people are born, it's like a kind of a blank slate, really. So, yeah. you know, it, I really resonated when you said, like, on, on a personal level for you, it was really about kind of, you know, asking what actually happened to you, because, you know, somewhere along the way, these experiences shape us and define us and kind of take us down a path and you know really unraveling that in in what you do is is um kind of the key to to healing that and but yeah so if the if you can get to uh get to the children early as possible to kind of instill these um these uh beliefs and traits and positive ways of being um can really save a lot of time mm -hmm. And heartache, right? I mean, mm -hmm. the three of us have talked before about, you know, how, you know, I see kids as just little sponges and they're going to soak up whatever it is that you put in front of them. So if, you know, if you fill them, you can fill them with sour milk, right? And they'll soak that up. You can fill them with the blah of water and just kind of, you know, um, you know, not a, let's say not abuse, but just neglect and being ignored, you know, just let's just call that water being bland. They'll soak that up. And, you know, your absence as a parent, they're going to soak that up. Or we can fill them with this, you know, sweet nectar of goodness and, and um, your time really, um, I think is what most kids want is just your time and attention. Um, so there's just, just this opportunity, right, to just pour goodness into them. And, and if you pour goodness into them, they're going to drip goodness, right? Mm. So when we talk about blessed beyond belief, Sally, you, you alluded to, you know, the love, uh, the loving upbringing that you had at uh, the hands of your mother, despite some you know difficult challenges in the background. So when we talk about blessed beyond belief, would you say that refers to you with your upbringing or your gift your talent your vocation call it what you will what defines you to embrace that that um, those three words blessed beyond belief what what does that mean to you sally Ooh. <laughs> i you know where do i begin right i mean i i think i think i'm blessed beyond belief in that i had an amazing upbringing my parents were phenomenal parents you know, they're, they weren't perfect. No parents are. But um, when I reflect back on my childhood, there's nothing but goodness that I, you know, I was nurtured. I was loved. I was cuddled. I was, um, 
you know, taught. Um, I, I had good role models. Um, you know, I had values instilled in me. Um, and I, I'm acutely aware because of my vocation that that's an exception, right? Um, a lot of people don't have that, didn't have that advantage. So um, working with the clients that I have in my vocation, I, it made me appreciate even more what I was given, um, what I was, you know, handed essentially compared to a lot of my peers or just, you know, population at large that, you know, I was incredibly best blessed beyond belief. And I believe I was um, the, the, the next layer of that blessing is that I'm able to acknowledge that and, and recognize that, right. There's a lot of people who are blessed beyond belief and don't have an acknowledgement or recognition that, that, that that's the case. They just think that's the case for everybody, or they take it for granted and there's not some gratitude around that. So I think this, again, the second layer is that, yes, I was blessed with a great childhood and wonderful parents, but I'm additionally um, blessed in that I can recognize that and I can turn that into something that's valuable and meaningful for others, mm -hmm. um, you know, through the work that I do. Do you feel that part of that recognition came from um, being in the environment with these um, kids that had kind of more challenging upbringings? And because, um, as you said, you know, when you grow up and you um, are brought up by your family, you're kind of familiar with whatever situation you're in and you kind of just assume that that's what everyone has. So was was part of that kind of recognition and that deeper kind of gratitude to do with the fact that you were exposed and dealing with um these uh these kind of challenging circumstances absolutely but i think it happened even before that and and it was through my mom because she, as she's as she was nurturing and being this amazing mother to me she would also share things about her childhood and so even as a child i i learned to appreciate it as it was going on because i i had something to compare it to you know mm -hmm. i mean I saw not only did my mom share, but then I would see her struggle with, you know, triggers that would, that would come up. And I think, oh, you know, and, and, and it would, in the fact that she was um, transparent enough and open enough and willing to talk about it, I think made me appreciate, um, have an appreciation as it was happening to me because she, because she shared her story, yeah. her vulnerability, um, so, so that happened even before I was exposed mm -hmm. to others outside my, you know, nuclear family, um, which obviously, you know, wide opened the door even further. Right. So yes, um, the exposure to the kids I worked with, um, certainly made me then appreciate that, Hey, this isn't just my mom who struggled. There's a whole, uh, population. Right. Of, of people. And I, and I think I also, I've always thought, and this is just one city, right? This is when I was working in county mental health, I thought this is just one county mental health office. This is one county in one state, in one country. And if you extrapolate that, like, wow, how many kids are struggling 
Mm. And it, it, I think that kind of um, encouraged me to make a difference where I can. What's been going through my mind, Sally, as we've been opening this up is that time old debate, nature versus nurture. Yeah. <laughs> What's your views on that in the context of being blessed beyond belief? Hmm. Um, I think it's a combination of both. Hmm. I do think that <clears throat> there are, I think you're genetically predisposed to things and then something environmental kind of, you know, turns the switch on to that gene. So you, you have this template with a lot of possibilities and, and your template may look different than my template and then environment interacts and, and operates on that template and flicks switches. Um, so, you know, use a simple example, like I said early on, I think I had the nurturing gene in me, right? But then my mom being loving and nurturing and, and always offering to babysit and, you know, my little cousins, um, we would babysit my little cousins and I would always help my mom with them. So that flicked the switch that, that environment, um, my experiences flicked the switch on to the nurturing gene, right? Um, where maybe if I had a different mom, that, that switch wouldn't have been turned on. Um, mm. But I, I absolutely believe that uh, nurture is a huge, huge component to the outcome of a child. Um, so you've already alluded to one example of, and you use the word transparency, you know, when talking to uh, to young people mm -hmm. about, you know, nurturing them and being honest and open. Um, does that come with caveats? Does that, I mean, is that literally an open book or does that come with boundaries and barriers and, and that kind of thing? What's been your experience from that, Sally? Well, I think it, in my role as, um, you know, an intern at County Mental Health, I, um, there are no, <laughs> there were no boundaries. I mean, I think, um, you know, I was young, I was naive and, and, and from time to time I was in a therapy session with a family and things would be shared and I'm sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, like I'm not prepared. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. These poor people don't, don't realize that I'm not skilled enough to handle this right now. Right. Mm. Um, so, you know, in a therapeutic setting, um, such as that, I think, you know, it should be no, no holds bar. There should be, um, a, a, a rapport where anything can be shared and that it can be shared without judgment. Right. Mm. Um, I think in my role as, um, you know, behavior consultant, particularly with um, more private clients versus school districts, et cetera, uh, it's a, it's different. I mean, you know, it, it's less, it's less therapeutic um, and more te more instructional, I would say. So um, I'm teaching parents a set of skills that they can use to implement with their children or I'm working perhaps sometimes I'm working with a with a with a child and teaching them the skills to help manage their emotions so we're not so much talking about their emotions but we're talking about 
how do we get a grip on it and how to, how can we move forward and and um, self-monitor our emotions so we don't break down and act out or um, self-harm or or whatnot. Did that answer your question? Mm, it does. Any thoughts, Rebecca? Yeah, I think that's uh, key is that um, kind of environment where there's no judgment. You said, you know, um, by creating that space. Um, and it's interesting. Uh, thanks for sharing around, you know, when you were younger and you kind of in that situation where people, you know, were telling you, parents were telling you things and, and it's kind of challenging to feel at that place where you're kind of ready to receive that or, but, um, but yeah, I think it, even just with that kind of, uh, um, you know, creating that just safe space without that judgment is, yeah. um, so, um, so uh, like healthy for for what can come out and then what can kind of heal from that place. Um, yeah. yeah, it was, I mean, it was certainly eye-opening. Um, right. You can hear about, you can hear about trauma, right? Yeah. And, and then to, uh, or read about it or see it in a movie or, but to, um, to really experience it firsthand um, when families are communicating it to you mm. is, is a whole different thing. And I, you know, um, it was a privilege to, to be in that position. Um, I didn't take it lightly, but it, you know, it was eye opening. and, yeah. uh, yeah, I, and, and, you know, one of, one of my clients at the time, um, she was in a gang, she was a teenager and she was in a gang and, um, and she'd been in and out of juvenile hall a couple times. And this particular session, I remember she was um, obviously out of juvenile hall. I was seeing her in a therapy room. And in my office, we had panic buttons. And um, she was getting quite upset in the, in the um, session. Um, and she said, she basically kind of threatened me. And she said, and I know you have a panic button, so don't even try to oh my reach god and i'm you know i'm i'm i think back to that now and i think wow i was so young and yeah i mean you know i had gone through the training i was equipped i was you know yeah. supposedly equipped but um uh you know i wish i had an opportunity to go back and do therapy with her now because i'd be a little bit better at it <laughs> um than i that's, was at the time, right? <laughs> that's um, how you learn right though that's it's right through that she yeah. didn't get the best version of Sally, but she, you know, I, I certainly gave her my best, uh, my best effort, but, um, but anyways, being, you know, I, it, I saw a lot as, a, yeah. you know, in my early twenties and, um, it definitely was eye opening and, and to, you know, kind of circle back to what Paul asked earlier is, you know, the, the blessings of, and what you asked, you know, was it your experience? Certainly that mm. attitude. That's right. Yeah. Those experiences. Yeah me think wow I really yeah. had it right I'm incredibly blessed yeah mm. and I love what you said around that it's a privilege to be in that position because you know when some when when someone's sharing with you something that's really deep and really personal and really vulnerable like um it is a privilege it's a privilege to be witness to that and be a space for person for, for someone for that um you know so yeah, and and the responsibility that goes with that privilege, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
And that old saying, Sally, around, you know, there's not the perfect book for parenting. You know, you can't learn parenting from a book. And, you know, and, and statements like that. I mean, what's your, as, a, as an experience, now an experienced practitioner, what would, what would your take upon that be? Is there a perfect, perfect book to be had on how to raise your child? I don't think there's a perfect book, but there certainly should exist a book. And, and you know, many books are out there and, and there's different, um, certainly different um, methodologies and frameworks that people, you know, in the field adhere to. But absolutely, there are basic skills that we should be teaching young adults before they have kids. And, you know, maybe high school is the place to do it, right? I mean, I don't know. Um, I can think of better classes than some of the classes that our kids take mm. and should be parenting. You know, you have to have a license to drive a car. You have to have a license to, um, um, to hunt. You, I mean, there's lots of things in our society that we have to, you know, demonstrate some kind of knowledge of before we can partake in it. I mean, even if you go skydiving, you have to take a little course you know, they make you watch a video and answer some questions and jump through the hoops of knowing um, some basic skills before they're going to let you jump out of a plane, right? Mm. Uh, and yet, when it comes to parenting, there's no there's no basic training. And um, absolutely, there should be some basic training. And and I think that that even all the different professionals who may not agree philosophically on how to parent could agree on some basics. Right. Mm. Yeah. Because bringing someone into life is probably one of the biggest things you can possibly do. I, I mean, arguably, exactly. you know. Exactly. Absolutely. And you look at, you know, you look at the backgrounds of, um, of inmates on death row and all of them, have a story all of them have what happened to you yeah yeah you know mm. so just going back to this uh, i want to build on this this word transparency as you used earlier on sorry about an example of being honest and open no boundaries you know to to help to nurture a young mind a young child i mean to what degree then does that play out? And I can totally get that. I mean, I certainly haven't got nowhere near your level of ex specific expertise or experience in that particular field. But what I can do through my life's experiences um, is actually deeply resonate with that, you know, stripping out the boundaries and being honest and open in that confidential, I would say, that secure environment of whatever the issue is. So I get the transparency, you know, but there's so much taboo, isn't there, in social conditioning around, you know, what we can talk about, even with young people, um, yes. or what we can't talk about. I, mean, I stood in a bus queue in my hometown recently behind a group of, I don't know, uh, there was three girls and, and, and a boy, and they must have been, I don't know, 12, 13. I was shocked. I don't shock easily because of what I've been through, but I was absolutely shocked. You know, the language, the depth of graphic sharing. And they're in, you know, they're waiting to get on the bus, you know, <laughs> in an open public place. And they're talking about it just as you and I might say, oh, I'm going to go to the supermarket and, and buy some milk. 
I mean, there was just like, and I just wondered to what degree, um, you know, openness. Yeah, fantastic. But I don't know. Um, any thoughts, Sally, on, you know, to not to keep on harping on about this word transparency, but how far do you actually go with this? Because it seems to me that, you know, and that hasn't been an isolated incident that I'm referring to, by the way, that the young minds of, of today, and I thought I'd been sort of, you know, led a colourful life, but they're, they're on a completely different plane in terms of what they term or see to be honest and open. Any, well, any I, thoughts? I don't know. I, I you know, I kind of think the proverbial rug that things get sweeped under has disappeared with mm. <laughs> these generations, right? It's there's um there's there's less shame um attached to experiences and um you know, I don't know if that has to do with just generational shifts or something deeper than that. But, um, but I think you're right. I mean, the, the, the transparency, um, you know, it's, it, it, the veil is thinned, I suppose it would be a way to put it um, with kids sharing. They're, they're, they're much more open than they used, than we were, let's say as, as kids growing up. Um, and I, but I think, you know, I don't, I'll shift just a little bit and say, like, in my parenting style with my kids, I had, you know, I was pretty transparent with them uh, at a young, at very young age, like, where do babies come from? And, you know, what is sex? And, um, you know, let's talk about masturbation. And um, it, it, I wanted to create an environment with my kids where they could talk to me about anything um, because I'd rather them talk to me about it than their, than get misinformation um, from some other source. Right. So in order to set that situation up, you have to be vulnerable and pretty transparent and be willing to talk about things that may be uncomfortable and, and different families have different standards when it comes to that, you know, Oh no, we don't talk about that. Like you said, that's taboo or, um, you know, and perhaps like religion, religious beliefs, you know, can play a role in, in different cultures, et cetera. So, um, it, it, and when you're working with a wider population, you have to be respectful of those things. You have to be respectful of their culture and, and their norms and, and not impose, you know, too much transparency on a family who's not in a position to, um, to go there, um, so I, I don't know if that mm. brought anything up for you, Paul. Is that a skill and experience, just to tap into that phrase, uh, to learn when not to go there? Where does that, where does that come from, Sally? To how do you know where to go there or not to go there? Is that experience? What is I that? Think, well, I think you, you have to be willing to, um, to ask the question, right? So you can talk to a family about, is this something that you're comfortable? I mean, it, de it depends on the circumstance. I mean, it, for, um, again, it goes back to, is this a therapeutic relationship or is this an instructional kind of relationship? Like what what, what hat am I wearing at that time? And it, you know, mm -hmm. if, you're, if you're the therapist, it's a whole different dynamic than if you're the, the consultant they've hired to help um, tease through some, let's say, issues with their 17 year old 
boy on the spectrum who doesn't seem to uh, understand where and when he can masturbate. I'm just using that as an example uh, because it's provocative and, and, you know, people's people will perk up. Right. Um, so a lot of, for me, I mean, they're reaching, you know, they're reaching out to me. Right. So they've already kind of um, given me the nod that this is, this is the area I need help with. And, um, but for another, let's say for another family, I might notice something and say, Hey, like, I notice this is going on. Is this something you're comfortable addressing? And you have to be willing to ask that question and then be willing to be respectful of it. Okay. If they're, if this isn't something they want to talk about, or it's so uncomfortable, then, you know, maybe you, um, you plant a seed and you start inoculating slowly, but, but you have to be just mindful to not insert your values onto other people, you know? Mm. So curiosity then plays a part in that, in terms of just um, kind of asking that question. Uh, well, I guess, I mean, maybe more, more intuition is the right word because um, you can kind of, gauge it from their response and in then conversation. Kind of, yeah, yeah. In conversation right yeah. and just yeah. like um let's say for instance there's a, a um we'll, we'll just stick with the masturbation example so um they they maybe a parent says i don't want him to do it at all mm-hmm. like no this is not okay this is unacceptable and so maybe there needs to be some education around right okay, I understand maybe culturally that's how you feel. Have you considered that this is a, you know, in in a physiological, you know, need on some level, right? That this is natural and normal. And um, so it's, it, yeah, it's sort of, you know, and so if you start, if you try to educate a little bit and you're still getting a lot of pushback, well, okay, maybe we'll table this for a while, Mm. right? And and you work further to build rapport with the family so that there's, you know, increased trust and, and maybe you give them examples of why this may be an issue down the line, right? Mm. So if, we, if, if, and that is so individualized, like let's, the, the, the composition of that person is going to, um, if that's a nonverbal adult with autism versus a conversational, you know, adult with autism, who's in a normal range of intelligence, those two different conversations, right? Um, so a lot of it's education. So when you said earlier on, Sally, you know, and you used the phrase at an early age, I think you was referring to your own kids, at an early age, and I, I kind of almost answer my own question before I even ask it, but, but what is an appropriate age? Because there isn't one, is there? Because people, um, irrespective of their age, are just so different, so unique. And so you can't, I will, you know, well, I'm I'm not going to answer my own question because obviously the point (laughs) of mentioning this is to ask you. um, But what is, you know, at an early age? Well, give us some examples, um, Sally, to help our listeners and readers understand that, you know, maybe they've got young children that, uh, you know, they're having challenges with, or maybe they're even thinking of starting a family, um, mm-hmm. you know, and how, where do we, where do we navigate through life's stormy seas? Um, and I'll come back. So just hold that second question. Cause I've, I kind of want us to wrap up on that one. 
But yeah, go back to the other one, Sally, if you will, and you know that appropriate age inverted commas. Well, I think um, you know kids are brilliant little creatures, and they will often ask. They they will they'll let you know when they're curious, right? So they'll often ask a question, and there's an opportunity there, right, for some for some instruction. So maybe they say, you know, I don't where do babies come from, and a lot of a lot of families and and will do what they what they heard what what their parents said to them when they asked that question. Oh, you know, it can be anywhere from a stork to um, something biblical. You know, God put the baby in my belly. Like you know, we've got a range of <laughs> of what what kids hear um, that has nothing to do with the reality of how a baby was made, right? So. Um, I think taking the opportunity when they ask that question. So that's a really good question. Let's talk about it. Um, and I think when the when a child asks that question is going to vary, like you said, right? Uh, uh, and and their their circumstance. So if if mom if they're three and mom's now pregnant with the second, um, there's going to be an opportunity for that question to be asked where if it's an only child, that only child's probably not going to ask for longer because they're not in a situation where anyone's pregnant around them. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, I think you take the child's lead and when they ask you, maybe even give them a little more than, than what they're asking because they'll just accept it at a young age. Like the, there's no shame attached to it. So um yeah, that's a really mm -hmm. good point. Mm. Any thoughts, Rebecca, about any of this fascinating stuff? Yeah. For me, what it's bringing to my mind is like how, um, you know, that the importance of the parent and the, 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 the adult doing their own self-work. Because as you said, like, they could easily just repeat what they got told when they were younger. And that might not be factual. Or it might not have actually helped them, but it's kind of what they're familiar with and Maybe they feel uncomfortable in the situation. So they kind of just go to what they think, you know, they do and they kind of panic or they're not quite sure they feel uncomfortable or, you know, awkward or something. So, um, yeah, it feels like it's so important for for the adults to to kind of embark on that journey of self-awareness and um, be educated as well to understand, uh, you know, how to approach these things. And, and I love what you said around... Um, uh, that you share a bit more, you know, than maybe that they've asked for at that early age, because at that early age, without without that shame and that conditioning already that's kind of happened, it, it they soak it up and that becomes, you know, ingrained in them. I love that. And how you even answer the, you know, how you even respond when a question is asked, right? So if you're like, oh, and you act shocked and you're like, um... Yeah. Well, let's talk to dad when he gets home. Then that that in and of itself sends a message, right? Like, oh, oh, what was wrong with my question? And maybe I shouldn't be asking that. And so just, you know, I it's so important for for parents to um, as you said, do their own work, right? Mm. And have some basic, you know, knowledge of parenting um that that just just your body language when a child asks a question sends so much information to them about whether these are acceptable things to talk about or not, right? Absolutely, um, yeah. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, just, just, um, I, you know, I, for, for me in parenting, I, you know, if I was stumped on how to respond and wanted more time to think about it, I would say, you know, that is such a good question. Mommy needs to think about that for a minute. Um, and um, because I really want to make sure I answer all your questions about it, you know, and I would buy myself a little bit of time while I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what am I going to say? Yeah. Yeah. So even, even that response is so powerful for people to know, and you just wouldn't know that, or it just wouldn't come to you that quickly if you hadn't had that training, that basic training, even, you know, just these responses. And yeah. yeah. Um, And, and, you know, I think also, you know, preemptively kind of waiting for them to ask when they ask, they're letting you know, they're ready for information. Right. Yeah. Um, But then there's opportunities even, ahead of that. Like, you know, if, if, if the child hasn't asked where a baby came from yet, but you are at the grocery store with your child and you see, oh, you could even take the opportunity. Do you see that lady right there? She has a baby in her belly, you know, taking the opportunity for instruction and, and, and teaching before it comes up and instilling that curiosity in them too. Like, Mm. you know, you probably don't know how that happens. We can talk about that later when we get home. Right. Um, yeah, just, uh, I don't know. My philosophy has just been it, the, the more open you are. Um, listen, when your kids are adolescents and teenagers, the number one thing you need from them is communication. You need right. them to be talking to you. Mm. And so you don't instill that in them at a young age. They are not going to be talking to you when they're faced with, you know, the, the, the decisions in life that have much bigger consequences than the little consequences of a, of a toddler or a preschool age child. So you have to, you know, set, set them up for that communication early on by communicating with them early on and nothing's, nothing's taboo to talk about now or later. So by way of bringing to a conclusion then, Sally, I ask you to hold that thought a few moments ago. So I want you to imagine this situation. So Sally, I want to be a parent. I'm going to become a parent in the near future. It's the first time for me. And I want to be the best parent ever without giving me war and peace. Almost give me a quick one, two, three of things that will help me to to be the best parent I can be. A very quick one, two, three. Almost um, in reverse order. So, you know, or or am I being too mechanical about this? Because what I'm really trying to coax out here is and tap into your wisdom and your experiences, that one big thing. I know you've, you know, and I've laboured the point deliberately around transparency and openness. Um, and maybe that is the answer. I don't know, but I know you do know, Sally. So what is the, the three to one of advice to new would-be parents or even parents with young, you know, uh, with youngsters to say, well, just think about this and it could make such a big difference? Hmm. Well, you've asked me to distill a, a, a huge body of work into three bullet points, which um, I will take a stab at. But um, I guess number three will be um, to realize that you are their number one teacher. That... Um, as that number one teach you, you have the most influence over them as a parent, you spend the most time with them. And 
you cannot leave the teaching to the teachers. You are their number one teacher. Um, number two would be they're learning from you, whether you intend for them to learn from you or not. So be very mindful in your actions and what you model for them. They go together, right? Because obviously they do that because you're their number one teacher. And then, so, so number three, you're, you're their number one teacher. Number two, be mindful of what you model, the behavior that you demonstrate in front of them because they're learning from you. And number one is um, drench them with love and time. They don't need exorbitant toys. They really want your time. Sounds so simple, doesn't it? To condense, yeah. you know, so it's like Rebecca said earlier on, the, the responsibility of nurturing a young life and, you know, to condense it. And that's why I deliberately played devil's advocate there into uh, almost trivializing it, a quick three, two, one. Um, sounds so simple, but um, I suppose that's the joys of parenting and nurturing our young. Okay, um, Rebecca, any final thoughts, comments before we bring things to a close? Um, I've just found it fascinating. And, um, you know, I've, I've learned a lot from this conversation as well. So, um, you know, Sally, uh, it sounds like there is that need for that that book, you know, a basics of, of, of these <laughs> things. And already I feel like I've learned a lot. So, you know, I would get that book if it came out. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not a parent yet. I hope to be one day. Um, but yeah. I would be really, really, you know, um, keen to get something that would teach these things because I think it's just so important. Yeah, I um, I appreciate the time and, and your openness in, in talking about this stuff. It's, it's not, um, you know, I think people take for granted being a parent um, and the influence they have over kids and yeah. their little ones. And, um, you know, we get it's easy to get consumed by our own careers and and, you know, the parenting part is like the sideline of like, sure. oh, I'm enjoying my family, but the investment that needs to be there, um, you know, is significant. So mm. the time, this is time well spent talking about this. So I appreciate mm. the opportunity. Thank you so much. Thank you. Absolute pleasure. So there we have it, listeners. Nurturing children. What a fascinating topic. And, uh, and as Sally alluded to, we've probably just even not even remotely scratched the surface, but at the same time, I think we've got a fear, well, I've certainly got, and Rebecca has, has alluded to it, a very, very good and deep appreciation of just how important it is for us to, as adults, um, to take that time and to nurture our young. And I'll leave you with that thought. And I sign off the way I always do by saying, remember, the world's changing. How will you respond? Thanks very much for listening to this World Game Changers podcast episode. Hopefully you found it interesting and helpful. Drop a line to paul at worldgamechangers.org with any thoughts or questions you may have, and he'll be more than happy to respond. Remember, the world's changing. How will you respond?